Okay, now let's talk about Anki part 29. In this Anki, we are going to discuss about the obstetric and gynecology, which we discussed in part 28 as well. Now, prophylaxis in high-risk patient for preeclampsia. So you must start low-dose aspirin from 12th weeks of gestation until delivery. Patients with third consecutive miscarriage and prior history of transient ischemic stroke, what could be the diagnosis? So if this patient is having miscarriage history and also he's having a transient systemic attack history, then this could be a case of antiphospholipid syndrome because uh, uh, these are all the features of clinical features of antiphospholipid syndrome and there is uh, increased thrombotic risk. And for the treatment, you give them low molecular weight heparin, low molecular weight heparin. Patient with rupture of the membrane since two days recommendation. So what will you give them? You will give them penicillin prophylaxis. So if the patient has a rupture of membrane since last two days, so now you give them penicillin prophylaxis. Okay, next. Screening test done at 24 to 28 weeks of gestation. So which test do you do at 24 to 28 weeks? It is the hemoglobin and hematocrit testing, CBC. Also, you will go for an antibody screening for RHD negative mother and uh, Glucose tolerance test is done. So glucose tolerance test is important that you do OGTT or glucose challenge test if OGTT is positive and uh, antibody screening if RHD negative mother is there and uh, hemoglobin and hematocrit. So you can remember it like smell, taste, color. Color is for like blood, hemoglobin and uh, taste is for like glucose tolerance test and smell is for like RH negative so it's just a basic mnemonic. I don't know how will you how this might help you, but yeah, for uh, for 24 to 28 weeks of gestation. Now, maternal contraindications to breastfeeding. What there are very few contraindications to breastfeeding, but all those you should remember. So first one is if the mother is active and untreated tuberculosis case. So if mother is now having tuberculosis and untreated one and active tuberculosis is there, then you must not allow her to breastfeed. Next is active varicella infection, then also no breastfeeding. Active herpetic breast lesion, then also no breastfeeding. Active substance use disorder, no breastfeeding. Chemotherapy or radiation going on, then again no breastfeeding. And HIV infection, then also no breastfeeding. So what are the contraindications for mother like to not to breastfeed? First one is the active untreated tuberculosis, active varicella infection, active herpetic breast lesion, active substance use disorder, chemotherapy radiation, and HIV infection. Infant contraindication could be, infant contraindication is galactosemia. So if an infant is having galactosemia, then no breastfeeding is needed because he himself is uh, like not suitable candidate for breastfeeding. He don't need milk. Galactosemia is there. So now target blood glucose level for gestational diabetes mellitus so what is the target blood glucose level if you see that uh, someone is having gestational diabetes mellitus so if glucose level fasting is less than 95 it's okay and if postprandial is less than 140 one hour postprandial is less than 140 then it's okay and two hour postprandial is less than 120 then also it's okay like it's the cutoff criteria okay target blood sugar level should be this Fasting less than 95, postprandial 1 hour 140 and postprandial 2 hour 120. Now, first line pharmacotherapy in the patient with gestational diabetes mellitus. So do remember diet is the first line of choice, but that's not the first line pharmacotherapy. The first line pharmacotherapy is insulin. 
so usually we go for anti-diabetic medication in general cases but here in gestational diabetes you give insulin second line could be the glabride and metformin and all those drugs retraction of the fetal head into the perineum after delivery is a warning sign of so it is a warning sign of shoulder dystocia so after uh, like uh, delivery and the head was retracted into back into the perineum that is a sign of shoulder dystocia okay yeah during the delivery if you see that the head was out and then again it went inside so because the shoulder is unable to come out and there could be so many reasons like macrosomic babies and cephalopelvic disproportion something like that and uh, which can uh, be a warning sign that this patient might have shoulder dystocia now management of shoulder dystocia so there is a mnemonic for this which is be calm so b stands for breathing like you ask the patient to breathe and do not push e is for you have to elevate the legs of the patient and uh, flex the hips and also thighs should be against the abdomen this is known as the mac robertson maneuver so that is needed elevate legs hips flex and uh, thighs against the abdomen third one is call for help you'll uh, call for help a uh, a stands for apply suprapubic pressure okay so you have to apply suprapubic pressure and l stands for enlarge the ventri uh, vaginal opening either with the episiotomy so you enlarge the vaginal opening as well after this become the next one m stands for maneuver so there are various maneuvers first is you must deliver the posterior arm if that's not possible then you rotate the posterior shoulder and you apply the pressure on the anterior aspect of the posterior shoulder this is known as wood screw maneuver or if another one is like you adduct the posterior uh, shoulder of the fetus and apply the pressure on the posterior aspect of the posterior shoulder this is known as rubin so in wood screw maneuver there is a pressure application on the anterior aspect of the posterior shoulder and in case of rubin's maneuver there is pressure application on the posterior aspect of the posterior shoulder so anyways you have to apply pressure on the posterior shoulder only if it's the anterior aspect it is the wood screw procedure where you rotate and if it is a posterior aspect then it is rubin's procedure where you adduct mother's hands on knee and uh, like mothers on hands and knees if like animal kind of structure is there all four which is known as the gaskin manual that is also one of the useful method another one could be the replacement of the fetal head into the pelvis for cesarean delivery so you will try to put the fetal head back into the pelvis and then you go for cesarean delivery that is known as zevenelli procedure so these are all the manuals which are used and the overall management of shoulder dystocia now Patient with positive urine HCG and there is lower abdominal pain and also there is vaginal bleeding. So, and you see, you have done the transvaginal ultrasonography for the diagnosis. See, if there is a positive U beta HCG, you must think this could be a pregnant woman. Next, you see that there is lower abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding. So, maybe there are chances of ectopic pregnancy. So, the first thing you do is to figure out whether this patient was pregnant or not. Then you do the transvaginal ultrasonography. If it is non-diagnostic, then you check the serum beta HCG level, okay? And if you see that serum beta HCG level is more than equal to 3,500, then you repeat the beta HCG level and again you will do the transvaginal ultrasonography after 48 hours. But if you see that the serum beta HCG level is less than 3,500, then you will only check the beta HCG level again after 2 days. You will not do the ultrasonography. Now, patient with a positive urine HCG uh, level 
and you see there is abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding again the first thing you should you come is the pregnant women may be having an ectopic pregnancy or something like that so you'll do the transvaginal ultrasonography if it that is not diagnostic you'll see the serum beta hcg level see here i'm talking about serum beta hcg because urine beta hcg you have already done and that was lower okay uh, lower positive okay now serum beta hcg level you will check if it is less than 3500 you will only repeat the beta hcg not the ultrasonography but if it is more than 3500 you will repeat both beta hcg and ultrasonography after 48 hours okay instruction to the patient during the management of the obstructed labor due to shoulder dystocia so what are the instruction you will give the patient so the first thing you say is do not push okay and breathe so the first thing you say on in case of uh, obstructed labor due to shoulder dystocia is do not push next one manual used in management of obstructed labor due to shoulder dystocia so i already mentioned again i'm gonna tell you the first one you do is the mac robertson manual where you elevate the legs flex the hip and thighs are against the abdomen and also you'll apply the suprapubic pressure next management of obstructed labor due to shoulder dystocia when all the maneuver uh, other manuals fail so if other, other manuals are failing then the best option is the zevenali maneuver which is the replacement of the head into the pelvis and uh, then doing the emergency cesarean delivery criteria of fetal growth restriction so when you say that there is fetal growth restriction if you see that ultrasonographic fetal weight is less than equal to 10th percentile of the gestation age like it is so less that it only uh, it is only 10th percentile of the gestational age okay so now uh, let's talk about the different types of iugr fetal growth restriction so it could be symmetric it could be asymmetric so how you define iugr again small for gestation age as ultrasonographic estimated fetal weight is less than 10th percentile for the gestation age and in case of symmetric it is mainly in the first trimester and in asymmetric it is in the second and the third trimester because in first trimester you see that brain development is there so if a patient is having first trimester defect then i first trimester iugr then brain will also not develop not only the body but brain development completes in the first trimester so after first trimester if someone is having iugr brain development is fully done but the body development will be affected so now it is called as asymmetric iugr what could be the etiology of symmetric one so it is mainly because of the chromosomal abnormality and congenital infection so chromosomal abnormality congenital infection leads to symmetric iugr and uh, utero-placental insufficiency where blood flow is low or there is any kind of maternal malnutrition these two could be the risk factors for asymmetrical iugr clinical features of uh, symmetric iugr as there will be global growth lag but in case of asymmetric there is head sparing growth lag how will you manage both cases whether it is symmetric asymmetric the management is same you have to do weekly biophysical profiles so if a patient is small for gestation age that is less than 10 percentile weight of on the ultrasonography you do weekly biophysical profiles it's not done weekly usually but here you do weekly and also you'll do serial umbilical ultrasonographic doppler so you will see that uh, there is a reversal of the blood flow or low blood flow or something like that then you can figure out that this is a case of iugr also serial growth ultrasound is needed so serial growth ultrasound biophysical profile access weekly and serial umbilical artery do doppler sonography is needed now onset so when is the onset of the fetal uh, symmetrical growth restriction it is the first trimester and asymmetric one is second and third trimester 
Etiology of fetal growth is the chromosomal abnormality and also the congenital infection. Asymmetric is uteroplacental insufficiency and maternal malnutrition. What are the clinical features? Symmetric one is global growth lag and asymmetric is head sparing growth lag. What are the management of the growth restriction for, for all kind of is these weekly biophysical profiles and serial ultrasonography serial umbilical artery doppler ultrasonography and serial growth ultrasonography now yeah so this is it for this lecture thank you so much for listening